Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Whoop podcast, where we sit down with top athletes, researchers, scientists, and more to learn what the best in the world are doing to perform at their peak and what you can do to unlock your own best performance. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop. We've got a phenomenal guest for you this week, Dr. Stacy Sims. When it comes to performing at your best, we all know that exercise and nutrition are essential, but few studies, coaches, and products are taking into account one of the most significant factors at play, your biological sex. Here at Whoop, we've been looking at the role hormones have in everything from sleep to recovery to even digestion. A key reason why we ask members to identify their gender and biological sex when they join Whoop for the first time. This week, we're talking to Dr. Stacy Sims, a leading researcher and author who specializes in female physiology about the role food has in performance, how women should think about nutrition differently than men, and how women's hormonal cycles affect their training. Dr. Sims joins WHOOP VP of Performance, Kristen Holmes, and WHOOP VP of Data Science, Emily Capilupo, to discuss why, according to Dr. Sims, women are not small men, and how physiological differences play a role in performance, why underfueling is a major issue and can prevent you from seeing the progress and results you want to, what to know about intermittent fasting, meal timing, and your training schedule. I found this one particularly interesting. And how you can tell if you're missing the mark with your nutrition by looking for certain signals from your body. Reminder, you can also use the code WILLAHMED to get 15% off a WHOOP membership. That is W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D. And without further ado, here are Kristen, Emily, and Dr. Stacy Sims. Hello, Kristen Holmes, Vice President of Performance Science, and I am here with WHOOP's brilliant Vice President of Data Science and Research, Emily Capitolupo. Hey, Kristen. Hey. And we have a very, very special guest, Dr. Stacy Sims. Hello. I'm excited <laughs> to be here and chat with you guys. I know. I'm going to give uh, just a quick intro um, so folks you know, get a, get a sense of your background. But Stacy is the foremost expert on sex differences in exercise science and nutrition. As an environmental exercise physiologist, nutrition scientist, and an elite athlete, Dr. Sims has spent an entire career researching and testing how females respond and recover from training, heat stress, altitude stress, and various types of nutritional protocols. Stacy, I, we, Em and I were stalking you. Sixty-seven published ar- articles, according to Google Scholar. <laughs> nice, <laughs> yeah, insane, oh. insane. Um, so, just incredible amount of work that you've done that you've contributed to this space. So, you know, in addition to being at the cutting edge of research. You know, you're an entrepreneur, an author, a teacher, a coach, a mom. Um, I don't know really how you manage to balance all of it. I think I really, it's, it's insane. I Yeah, you're like, I don't know either. Uh, we just <laughs> got to make it happen. But I think what Emily and I appreciate so much is, you know, how you've used research and science to increase awareness, you know, frankly, on topics that are totally misunderstood or not understood at all. <laughs> and, you know, I personally, you know, I've been a coach of females my entire life. You know, like I was... You know, I, I coached at Princeton for 13 years, um, the women's field hockey team. I, I coached at the University of Iowa for a few years. I was a student athlete myself. I played on the U.S. National League for seven years. And I not once did I ever ask my student athlete, 
where they were at in their phase of their of their of their cycle. Nor was I ever asked. And it, and it's just reading your research and, and just everything that you're thinking about and the stuff that we're we're collaborating with you on um, with our our Whoop data. It's just you're just really changing, I think, the paradigm around how we how we think about training and recovery in the work that you've done. And and I think it's you know we're we're only going to get better, but it's it's just crazy how far we still have to to go um, as it relates to this topic specifically. So I'd love, Stacey, to start with your TEDx talk. Um, oh, yeah. And I, you know, this is really when, I, I think when Emily and I first came to know you is that I, I received it from one of my friends and, you know, it's, it's you know, the title, Women Are Not Small Men. I was like, whoa, what is that? Like, that's just the coolest title ever. I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I, I just found it to be like such a motivating, like, powerful summary of, and, and just really opened my eyes to how my thinking about recovery and in nu- nutritional adaptations and performance of females was just completely wrong. And anyway, so I, we'd love for you just to kind of start there to, to ground the conversation. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say it was wrong. And a lot of people are like, Oh, everything I do is wrong. It's like, it's not wrong. It's just, we've been forced into this male lens of viewing it and haven't had the opportunity to think outside the box because we've never actually been given that ability to be like, hey, wait, here's a different way of thinking. Um, so with the TED Talk, it came up because uh, I gave a talk for the Royal Society of New Zealand here, and there are people in the audience who put together TED Talk, and they were so moved by the fact I was talking about sex differences. They're like, you need to do a TED Talk. And I was super duper nervous about it because I was like, kind of have to give background on me of how I got to be here. But then the more I got into it, the more I was like, no, this is something everyone needs to hear. It's like it started as an experiment for myself going through the same things that you were talking about. Like as an athlete, I had no one ask me about my menstrual cycle as a sports scientist and learning and doing experiments. No one took women into consideration. That didn't really dawn on me until I started asking those questions. And so that's where the impetus really as an athlete and as a research scientist started all those many years ago back in undergrad. And it was just the TED Talk was the small platform to be able to like, hey, you know, you're a female athlete or you're a woman who exercises for purpose and you're working really hard and not seeing results. Well, it's probably because most of the stuff that we know and do, if not all of the stuff that we know and do is based on male data. And then you start looking at all the sex differences that come up from enzyme activity to proteins of the mitochondria to um, post-exercise blood pressure responses how we actually fuel, where we use different um, ratios of fat and amino acids than men. And all these small little things add up to women not achieving the performance potential. So when I start talking about it, people are like, oh my gosh, that's me, that's me. It totally resonates. And I start all of my sex difference lectures with women are not small men, because it's something that people can grab on. They're like, whoa, yeah, you're right. We're not small men. So let's talk a little bit about nutrition because this is not obviously an area that you just have really spent your entire life thinking about. Um, would would love to just kind of get your just philosophy on how to think about nutrition just generally for a female and how that might be different. But and if you could kind of bucket it into an individual who's you know a competitor, you know who's who's competing and and I and I know that if you're an endurance athlete versus a, a field sport, like, you know, there, there's going to be differences, but, you know, principally there's probably some higher level ways of thinking about it. And then if you're just thinking about longevity, so would, yeah, we'd just love to get your, you know, we'd love to get your, your insight in, into kind of what the, what the principles are related to that. Yeah. I mean, when you look at all the diet trends that are out there, they're all exclusionary. It's a way of like 
partitioning off things and reducing fueling across the board. When you look at intermittent fasting, you look at the keto, the low carb, high fat, all these hot topic buzzwords. Uh, when we look at data for women, it's different from what you have for men. So we know a lot of the outcomes for women are not the same and they actually are harmful. From a high level point, regardless of what um, diet belief you might have, it comes down to fueling for the stress. So it doesn't matter if you're a strength athlete, endurance athlete, team sport, you need to fuel for the training stress because we don't train and get fit during the training. What happens during training is we're breaking everything down and your body's under an incredible load of stress. So if you're also adding in a non-fueling or poor fueling stress on top of that, it's above and beyond the stress needed for exercise adaptation. So I always counsel people, regardless if you're trying to um, lose weight or you're trying to peak for a particular event, fuel for the training sessions, recover well from the training sessions, and then you can do a little bit of play with the rest of it. One of the biggest things in recreational female athletes is they're under fueling and they're in a low energy state. And the backlash of that is they don't lose weight. They don't build lean mass. They have poor sleep. So most of the time they think I'm not training hard enough and I'm eating too much. So it becomes a vicious cycle mm -hmm. And this is where people start picking up the keto, the low carb, the intermittent fasting, and it just compounds that low energy state. And it's, it's endemic in men as well. Like we're starting to get a lot of robust literature out there about low energy availability in men. And the outcomes are the same for both. You have endocrine disruption. So women's menstrual cycle drops, thyroid dysfunction, men low testosterone. You have poor bone markers, poor bone turnover, so reduced bone density. A sympathetic drive, you can't get into that parasympathetic state, so you have poor sleep and yeah. it's a cycle. Again, regardless, fuel for what you're doing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. Whatever the activity requirement is, you know, your feeling yeah. behavior should, yeah, should follow. Yeah, I completely agree to that. Yeah, that's that's a great overview. What are some other questions that you can ask yourself to kind of determine whether or not you're putting the right kind of fuel in your body at the right time? And, you know, what would be just some kind of recommendations on, on how to think about, you know, what those kind of signatures are? Yeah, one of, well, there are two really telling things. It's like that dead fatigue. If you wake up and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm always tired when I wake up. I'm like, it's not the mm -hmm. kind of fatigue that goes away after 20 minutes of a cup of coffee. It's that to the core fatigue where every small little thing annoys you where, you know, the dog barking across the street is getting under your skin, like someone's standing too close to you in the bus. But, you know, small little things really get to you. Yeah. Uh, and then it's the inability to sleep well. You're always waking up, you're, you know, tossing and turning all night, and then you get anxious and the depression. All of these are, are signs of that sympathetic drive mm. where you just cannot get into a relaxed state. I mean, and, of and course that affects digestion too, right? Like, I mean, you have to be in a parasympathetic state to, to really digest efficiently, right? So there's, again, again just this vicious yeah, Loading, GI problems, mm. feeling overly full, craving lots of sugar and carbohydrate. Mm. Just in that fatigue state, your body's like, I need something to keep your brain going. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, that's the biggest thing that people can be aware of. If you're having high stress during your life, that counts. That contributes to the overall stress. 
Yeah. So, so Stacy, as it relates to low, low energy availability, and you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on intermittent fasting. You know, that's obviously it's wildly popular right now. A lot of folks do it. They swear by it. They feel like it's making them healthier, happier. Um, you know, what what are what's your take on that? I kind of laugh when they say that, but um, no, it is wildly <laughs> popular, right? <laughs> it really it, is. <laughs> it is. But when you think about it, it's like it's because we've all been so miscued of how to eat. Right. So there's food available everywhere. And especially in the States, you see people eating in their cars, living overseas. You don't see that. Right. You go to Europe, no one's sitting in their car, really driving and eating a meal. Yeah. And we're just so unconditioned to meal timing. Whereas if you were to eat a proper dinner and then stop and then not eat again until breakfast, that's a good fast. Not normal. That's why it's called breakfast. Yeah. But now you have all the training things of intermittent fasting, 20 hour fast. Um, you know, you could have multiple day fast and then break the fast, but it's such an exclusionary thing and your body isn't getting enough fuel, especially if you are training for purpose and exercise in itself is a fasted state. So if you're exercising in a fasted state and then contributing more into a fasted state because of exercise, depleting everything then you get skyrocketing cortisol levels and a catabolic state. And if you are not eating afterwards, you stay in this catabolic state that promotes all the negativity of a low energy availability, mm. the thyroid dysfunction. And even if you're bookending your calories at the end of the day, you're still not breaking that catabolic state after exercise, or you're not breaking the catabolic state when you first wake up in the morning by down turning the cortisol then it doesn't matter if you're getting enough calories because your body is still in a long-term breakdown state and you start having the same symptoms as availability. And then for those people who aren't booking enough calories or not bringing in enough, and it's in this exclusionary of food, no food, the catabolic state is the predominant state. And that is a super stressful state for your body. And you just get it. I mean, a lot of people can hold it for about three months and then they're off the deep end. You'll see people are like, oh, intermittent fasting looks great for me. I feel great. And then three months into it, they're like, what's going on? I'm putting on belly fat. I've plateaued. I don't feel that great. Men, different story. But women, three months is about as far as I've seen women can hold an intermittent fast without having repercussions. Wow. And you're talking like a 20 hour fast. Like, what's the, you know, 16 hour fast? Like, what would you say is the, yeah, the most any more with? 12, like the overnight fast of dinner to breakfast? Like, you right. need to eat breakfast. And uh, it's more having to do with the fact that you have that peak of cortisol right in the morning. Mm -hmm. Women are more sensitive to not having fuel as well because of kispeptin. And our threshold for not enough fuel is different for men. So men can exercise in a fasted state because peptin is perturbed. But for women, when peptin is perturbed, it's a neuropeptide that's very sensitive to nutrient status. And when it's downregulated because there's not enough nutrition, you get endocrine dysfunction. Because it's responsible for stimulating that LH pulse, which is responsible for menstrual cycle. So for women and men, it's a different story. And these things aren't talked about. Although I was pinged in a David Osprey podcast because they were now on there talking about fasting is different for women. I haven't heard the whole thing, but I'm <laughs> like, well, maybe the Bulletproof Coffee guy is actually coming on board that men and women are different. Wow. <laughs> that would be oh. something. That would be something. 
Yeah, I think I heard this from you, but correct me if it's wrong, but that like the difference in how men and women are responding to intermittent fasting goes back to the sort of like evolutionary response to like what kind of condition would have put us into this not having enough food to eat such that we would be fasting. And so like men, their like evolutionary role was to like go and hunt. And so men respond to intermittent fasting by like leaning up you know, and so they like put on lean muscle, they drop fat like crazy. It makes them like, you know, agile hunting machines. Whereas women (laughs) respond by like, oh shit, food is scarce. Might as well like go into a conservation mode. And so we, we stop our period because we don't want to get pregnant if food is scarce. Um, We, we preserve fat and we basically like hold on to our fat like crazy because we think we're starving. Mm -hmm. Um, And so women go into this crazy, like low metabolic rate, drop our metabolism, like low power mode. And so I think like one of the things that I'm pretty sure um, Kristen and I had the amazing pleasure of visiting you in New Zealand a year ago. And I feel like this is when we were talking about this. You you see a lot that like husbands and wives or, you know, partners um, will do these diets together. And then it's so frustrating because you know, the women are like starving themselves and they're seeing their uh, male partners, like, you know, start to look like these, you know, lean, sexy machines and they're just putting on belly fat and they're like, you know, yeah. bite for bite eating the same thing. What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what is going on? I'm getting tired and fat. And my male partner is like leaning up and becoming fit and like dominating all these competitions. It's like, because you need to eat differently. We yeah. Better food. <laughs> you know, this whole like women are not small men, but also like, you know, we're not the, the female sitting next to us either, you know, like just because something's yeah. working so well for your buddy, like it's important to look and not just be like, you know, oh, it's working for my partner, not for me. So I need to like double down and do it better or harder, but like, listen to your body. If you're not losing weight and you're, you know, you're, you've ruled out that you're not totally botching the diet. Like it's probably just not the diet for you. And you should respond to that by like trying something else. And, you know, whether that's keto, paleo, you know, cutting out tomatoes, whatever the thing is, but like, (laughs) um, normally, I don't even know if people know how to eat normally. What is normal eating, right? Because there's so many different ways. Tell me. I know. What what do you think are, I think to Emily's point, you know, we are so different, right? You know, even from from one female to the next, like we're we're all going to have kind of slightly different needs and respond you know, slightly differently because we all have different gut biomes, but, um, but generally speaking, you know, what, what do you see women are deficient in generally? Um, you know, if you can think about it, vitamins, minerals, uh, macronutrients, like, you know, kind of take it in whatever, whatever direction. Yeah. The older set. So older being 35 up tend to have real huge problems with iron. And this is where um, it's not by the fault of not eating foods with iron, but it's a issue of poor absorption. Because that's the time where hormones start to flux a bit and becoming more estrogen dominant or things are starting to drop off and naturally cortisol levels are coming up. It also tends mm-hmm. to be the time where we have a lot of external stress where women are starting to be or at the peak of their career. So there's a lot of responsibility in the workforce. They have kids that are growing up that might be you know, middle school, high school, and all the stress there. They have aging yeah. parents. Super needy, those stress. kids. <laughs> <laughs> and when you have that, you also have a lot of inflammation. And with inflammation, you have uh, enzyme hepcidin that comes up and that prevents iron absorption. So people are like popping back iron pills and not getting better. And they're like, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah. It's not because that, again, like I said, you're not eating enough iron. It's because your body can't absorb it until you address inflammation. And we see it a lot in endurance athletes who are younger too, because they're not eating enough. 
So yeah. they're not down regulating that inflammation. So across the board, improve absorption. Just um, really trying to do nutrient timing where you're getting out of that catabolic state, yeah. looking at ways to reduce inflammation. So right. eating more inflammation reducing foods, turmeric, curcumin, which is turmeric, um, like ginger, looking at um, like blue spirulina, just yeah. a lot of the foods, all of those things really contribute from a phytonutrient standpoint. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Don't it's one of the same. Yeah. 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 Getting more of that plant-based stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the wider the colors that you're consuming, the better it is for your gut and for total inflammation and everything. Talk about sugar. Sugar's interesting. <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, it, 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 you know, gets a, a pretty bad rap, but sugar is good. Yeah. So yeah. What, I know. There's a time and a place for it. It's like yeah. you have people who look at sports products, like I can't have that. There's sugar in it. I'm like, if there's any, any time in your entire day where you should be having sugar, it's like during exercise. Yeah. Forget about the whole like metabolic efficiency thing. You still need carbohydrates to start burning fat. Right. Uh, and then a little bit is fine. It's just people who come addicted to Oreos and need that like sugar hit every night at the same time right. that becomes more habit than the actual idea of your body needs. Something. Um, yeah, it's, it's not as bad as people think, but in the States it is because I feel like everything has sugar added and that's where you need to be careful. So again, it's like taking away the step away from all the packaged stuff, which has more right. sugar added than it should. And then taking control of it. It's like, what kind of sugars do you want? Maple syrup is fantastic. Honey is fantastic. Yeah. Um, agave, not so much because it's like high corn syrup. So understanding and and knowing where to put it. And if you like it, then you have it, but you just don't overdo it. Yeah. I think the timing of, you know, if you're going to have honey, you know, a pre-workout is going to be ideal, right? Post-workout too, because you, you need to refuel. Yep. So again, it comes down to like fueling in and around your training. And then it's not so restrictive because people are always, you know, looking at the other thing that I really don't get is the ketogenic diet. Cause you're excluding all the plant compounds that are so critical for your gut microbiome, which is so important for increasing inflammation, increasing BDNF to help with brain function, just so many things. And it's that exclusionary thing. Right. So when I think about what people are looking for from a diet standpoint, it's like, What's Mike Mosley? Eat like your grandmother did. Lots of plants, not too much, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just simple. Yeah, I think that's such an important point you just made too, where you're sort of saying like, you know, if you're going to have honey, do it around your workout. So it's like helping you get through the workout and then recover. Like people love this idea of like, this is the good column and this is the bad column. And yeah. like, that's such nonsense. You know, we can put cocaine in the bad column and like be <laughs> kind of black and white about that. But like natural foods, like, you know, th- things aren't good or bad. Like there's, it's about balance and it's about timing and fueling for what you're trying to do. So like, I think one of the things you do so well is um, getting away from this idea of like good and bad, but like, Hey, like, you know, everyone loves to demonize salt. Like that's the other sort of evil white thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, most women are low on salts around their periods because we lose it uh, in the menstrual blood. So like, you know, you want to increase your salt and stop thinking about it as this like evil thing that's going to ruin your blood pressure. Like it's actually probably why a lot of people don't feel great is because they're not getting enough. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah. So the, um, the blood or the high salt and 
high blood pressure thing is again, one of those, it falls in the whole category is like the saturated fat. Don't eat animal products, saturated fat. If you're someone who sweats on a regular basis, salt is good, right? If you're someone who eats a lot of packaged foods, a lot of processed stuff and still sweats a lot, you probably shouldn't add salt because you're getting enough in your diet. Yeah. But women and some men who want to eat clean and they never put salt anywhere, they end up with really low blood pressure and they end up with what we call orthostatic hypotension. So it's like lightheadedness from sit to stand because they don't have enough um, salt to create plasma volume to expand the blood volume. Uh, yeah. So oh, it's like, God. yeah. And there are some people who have a very heavy sweat rate. So they will lose more sodium than those who vasodilate first and don't sweat a lot. So you inherently know how you sweat or don't sweat and what kinds of foods you eat. But yeah, the whole thing of don't salt your food, low salt diet doesn't apply to most people unless you have a family history or personal history of kidney disease and hypertension. Stacy, there's, you know, a whole big old market around uh, sports drinks and gels and bars and yeah, I, I think it's pretty well documented that, you know, real food is best, but um, what's your, what's your take on, on some of the the supplements and, you know, just, uh, you know, the replacement bars and, you know, the recovery gels and all that. All that stuff. Yeah. I always go marketing is stronger than science in the sport nutrition world. And um, especially when you're talking about the myth of needing salt tablets and electrolyte replacement. Even in Ironman, if you're eating properly and you're fueling properly, you don't need to replace stuff, right? You're not going to sweat out all the sodium that's in your body. Your body is has plenty of sodium stores. But if you're just drinking water or you're drinking stuff that's high carbohydrate and high electrolyte, you're not going to absorb it. And this is what people start running into problems. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, I'm getting dehydrated because I'm cramping. It's like, you're not dehydrated because you're not drinking enough. You're just not absorbing it. You got that goose slosh and stuff because when the carbohydrate is so concentrated in a lot of the sports drinks and the gels, um, then it just sits in the gut because your gut has this finite pressure that it can take. And it either has to be pure water with a little bit of salt to absorb it, or it has to be a very low carbohydrate electrolyte solution to absorb it. But most sports drinks are well above the range where your body can handle that pressure. So it sits in the gut until water can come to dilute it before it can be absorbed. Gel is notorious for that. You're taking concentrated carbohydrate and dumping yeah. it into a dehydrated gut. Already reduced blood flow. There's not enough water coming there because it's going to working muscles. And then your body gets this whack of carbohydrate. And it's like, oh, okay, now what? Right? So when people are doing an Ironman shuffle or post-race loading and gas, it's like, it's not because of the race. It's because of the stuff that you ate. Yeah. yeah, I could do like five hours of podcasting on it. We could every, I could tell you everything that's wrong with it, and go back to the basic seminal science of physiology. When you look at how some of the sports drinks originated, they originated based on how your body physiologically absorbs fluid. But then you get into the legislature of one of the artificial sweeteners that Gatorade was using back in the. 50s and 60s got taken off the market by the FDA. So then they doubled the carbohydrate content saying, oh, it's because people need carbohydrate for their exercise. But yeah. it wasn't because of that. It was because of a of mandate to take this harmful artificial sugar out. And then the, you know, the marketing became strong. Oh, everyone needs carbohydrate while they're exercising. Oh, you need to, you know, have carbohydrate and then some fluid. But now it's separated out. 
That's really interesting. And I love your simile. Sports drink is like a sofa bed. It is. <laughs> Everyone can relate. They like rock up to a relative or a friend's house. Like here's a sofa bed. And like, oh, I'm not going to get a good night's sleep. It's not a good sofa or a good bed. <laughs> where would you say, Stacey, and, and this might be a kind of a good question to end on, where are the biggest gaps in the literature right now? Like where do we need to invest resources if, you know, what are the questions that, you know, we still don't have a lot of clarity on that we we must have clarity if we want to kind of move forward in a way that's optimal? Pretty much you could redo every study from 2004 backwards, <laughs> specifically wow. on women yeah, and get really good data. Because like even the NIH didn't put out a mandate until late nineties, early two thousands that you had to include women and people kind of still find a loophole to get around it. And it's, it's just medicine and sports science and stuff because funding's low or you can't really recruit a lot of women or are willing to do a lot of stuff where they don't try to recruit women or the study's not designed with the idea of women it's designed with the idea of men and then maybe we'll include women. But it's come quite a, a ways where people start starting to focus. Okay, we're designing the study specifically for women, and if men want to come in, then they can. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Stacy. That's um. You know, one of the things that I'm so grateful to you for that I think like meeting you and, and familiarizing myself with your work has really opened my eyes to is just how much this research in females is missing and how much like. Like, I feel like people go out of their way to like hide that fact, right? Like we'll see these, you know, whatever newspaper will cover some article and they'll be like, you know, this you know, keto diet proven to be the best way to train or um, whatever supplement like does this thing. Uh, and if you actually like dig into, you know, the actual research, the study was done in four men or maybe it was done in enough people, but it was just done in men. And then they stick somewhere in the discussion that we excluded females because we didn't want to deal with the confounding factor of the menstrual cycle. And that was like so acceptable for so long. You know, it really does mean that like for half the population, the vast majority of research that like gets quoted at us and, you know, that our training is based on actually mm-hmm. doesn't really apply to us or we don't understand how it maybe, you know, needs to be modified to apply. Right. And news, <laughs> outlet, news outlets are notorious for just using the, the third person pronoun. Yeah. Me. People. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, who are the people? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such an important question to ask. And, you know, it, and I think you're know, going back to some of the stuff that, you were talking about even earlier in this pod that like, you know, it's not just people, but what are those people even trying to do? Like the best diet for performance really matters on what performance means to you. Is it a hour Ironman? Is it a, you know, 10 minute powerlifting competition where you're going to do three movements, but like, (laughs) right. Right. And the fueling differences too, because you'll have this conflicting thing of no timing doesn't matter. Well, all the research is coming out saying that timing doesn't matter is in strength training, but you look at endurance and even the men and women, they're saying, yeah, timing does matter. So it's still that mixed messaging and confusion. Thank you so much for coming on the pod and and you sharing your wisdom with everybody. No, it's super fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I look forward to doing more cool stuff with you guys. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> the, the questions we can ask are, well, as you pointed out, pretty much anything prior to 2004, we need to redo. So <laughs> we can just start there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, love it. Stacey, thank you so much for all of your contributions to science and for your advocacy and um, and just your passionate, just relentlessness to, to help educate folks. Um, you're, you have an online course, you have an awesome website, 
you've authored books. Um, we'll make sure we link to all of that in, in the show notes so folks know where to find you and uh, your Instagram handle. And uh, are you on LinkedIn at all? I am. Okay. Yep. We'll make sure that um, we have all those good details so, so folks know where to find all your good work. Um, but thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, we love working with you and can't wait to do more fun stuff. Thank you to Kristen, Emily, and Dr. Stacy Sims for coming on the Whoop Podcast. If you like the Whoop Podcast, make sure to rate and review the podcast. You can also check us out on social at Whoop, at Will Ahmed. We love hearing from our listeners. And lastly, you can get 15% off a Whoop membership if you use the code Will Ahmed. That's W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D. Thank you, folks. Stay healthy. Stay in the green. Stay in the green.